help the humans about to escape. Get your paws off me, you dirty ape! <gasps> he can talk. He can talk, 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 he can talk! I can sing! Ooh, help me, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Oh, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! What's wrong with me? I think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? You're all so lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Oh, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. I hate every ape I see From chimpan A to chimpanzee No, you'll never make a monkey out of me Oh, my God, I was wrong it was Earth all along. You finally made a monkey. Yes, we finally made a monkey. Yes, you finally made a monkey out of me. I love you, Dr. Zayas. You hitting on my wife? Hey, you know what? I'm a single guy. <laughs> Paul's single. He lives on Long Island. You can go back to your family, your roots. He's tall. He has nice teeth. What'd you say? <laughs> she said something. I knew what she said. <laughs> she walked away. It's, it. I find it amusing that you're trying to, fi- to, trying to fix her up with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Come on, come on, go with my buddy. <laughs> I, I might not be around for long with my kidney stones and everything, you know. Back to the bin. You want to bring it in? <coughs> Hello and welcome to this is our third week, I believe, of Apes coverage. And I am joined by my ape co-host, Mr. Spider Monkey Spataro. <laughs> Just leave it that. And, um, with us, oh, wait, actually, aren't we, did, has somebody gone rogue? Is somebody missing? Somebody said no. And he ran out of the room screaming. He had to go make a banana milkshake. Maybe he'll be back later. And that is our, our, our good buddy. What's his name again? Oh, wait, Uh, I gotta check my notes. He, He was here last week. Oh yeah, Scott Gardner. That's it. Actually, Mr. Gardner is on a reconnaissance mission looking for financing for the show. So he went out, uh, he's meeting up with uh, 
Tim, Tim Elliott, who is the uh, financier of the Planet of the Apes episodes that we're not a part of. Well, so. actually, technically, you will be. And right? yet, I haven't seen a dime come across my uh, <laughs> <laughs> across my threshold yet. And I'm all thinking, goes to the, that all goes to the Demanza Corp coffers, my I'm friend. Thinking, I'm thinking that's exactly the case. But uh, you know, it's it's. I, would, I wanted to mention. Uh, see if I can punch it up here while we're talking. But uh, we have a couple of iTunes reviews. Uh, oh. All make me happy. I think we're up to eight reviews, which not as many as we could have, but it's really not too bad. They're all five stars, mm-hmm. which is a very nice thing. I and haven't checked out any reviews lately. I've read some okay, of them. Okay, I haven't in... checked any out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that narrows it down a little. Uh, I'm not sure if we read... I think I had previously read this one by... I think it's C, C Binder in the 70s. That was from April. But it's a short one, so I'll read it again just in case I haven't. It says, I am and will be a regular listener of the show for a long time. The random titles make for a great tune-in-next-time hook. I enjoy the shows that cover stories I haven't read just as much as the shows that cover the stories I have read. It's that enjoyable. So that's really nice. Next one is by Geek Arino. I don't know who that is either, but it's also a five-star uh, review from April 24th. This podcast is one of many of the Two True True Freaks family. All are good shows. This one rises above the rest. Simple in formula and entertaining from the beginning to end. I listen to many comics-related podcasts, but always have this as the first-to-listen show. Back to the Bins is that first John Byrne or George Perez cover that I saw on the spinner rack that began my love for comics. If you long for the days when comics were fun and less than a dollar, do yourself a favor and subscribe. And next one is from our friend Gene Hendricks. I've got them up now, so. Okay. You want to read the next one? Uh, Sure. And this is from our friend Gene Hendricks. Wow, it's like I just heard that. If if you have any love of comic books at all, you need to listen to this show. There is a great chemistry between the regulars and any guests that they have on, but the focus is always old comics. It's a great walk down memory lane for the comics that you read, that you've read, and a great way to discover something that you haven't seen yet. Okay, and then our most recent one just came this week from Robert T. Ward. Uh, And it's a little bit longer, but it's still very uh, complimentary and very readable. Two True Freaks is without a doubt one of the greatest podcasting networks on the internet. Forget some of the more bigger and more commercial networks. The Two True Freaks collection of podcasts that range from all of nerddom is some of the most entertaining shows that one could possibly find. One of these fantastic shows is Back to the Bins. Back to the Bins, in my opinion, is possibly one of the finest shows available on the entirety of iTunes. Currently hosted by Paul, the producer Spataro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and occasionally Scott H. Gardner, with reams of rotating guests. Back to the Bins highlights comic books from yesteryear in engaging and often humorous synopsis and banter. Whether you want coat-riding tie-in episodes <laughs> to go with the most recent theater blockbusters or bombs, or general coverage of comics heroes that have sadly been largely forgotten by audiences, Back to the Bins should be the number one show to go to. Be warned, tangents are plenty, but that's exactly what makes up some of the sh- most fun parts of the show. 
be it a special appearance of Alvin the Cat, Arnold Schwarzenegger, or any number of silly voices, the show masterfully shows why comic books can be one of the greatest uniters to the mind to to like-minded individuals. It doesn't matter what your personal comic preference preferences are or if you necessarily agree with certain podcasting personalities and what they like. Back to the Bins will have you laughing and have and having a generally great time with its addictive familiarity that any good podcast ought to. With shows like Back to the Bins setting a high mark for what a show can be and how much fun you can have, who needs more who needs more or be surprised to find yourself looking into podcasting looking into a podcasting side project? And that's from uh, Robert T. Ward again. And thank you to everybody who's given us five-star reviews. And anybody yes, else thank who you. enjoys the shows, we would really appreciate more of them. And those checks are in the mail. And I'm from the government, and I'm here to help you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this week we got uh, Mr. Comics. Mr. Comics. And as best as we can tell, this is the only series that Mr. Comics ever came out with. Wow. But we're not sure about that. We didn't really do any actual research. It's just from our, our knowledge. And, <laughs> which, uh, is, it's, which is, is minimal. <laughs> thank you. I was going to say is, is limited at best. But it's a six-issue miniseries called Revolution of the, on the Planet of the Apes from 1995. You say uh, you want a revolution. Well, you know, it's going to be on a planet of the apes. <laughs> it takes place... In between the end of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, but before Battle for the Planet of the Apes. And kind of, it kind of comes very close in time to the end of Conquest, not quite so close to the beginning of Battle. Well, that's a pretty big, isn't that like a 20-year gap in between those two? Uh, as we figured, it's anywhere from 12 years to 20, somewhere in that range. It's hard to put an exact finger oh, on Oh, that's right, because you're not a expert on simian... Uh, metabolic rates of simian children. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the series, the issues had a three ninety five cover price, which is kind of exceptionally high for nineteen ninety five. But I guess it's mm. all because of the uh, uh, the independent nature of the company that was producing it, probably with the licensing fees and all. Uh, they all have painted covers by an artist named Dennis Rodier, uh, which vary in uh, not not in quality. I think they're all good quality, I th but I would say they vary in my in how much I like each one as far as the layout goes. I like issue three. I think is pretty cool. That's the one with the ape in the in the cockpit of the plane. And and my favorite is actually issue two, where it's basically Caesar standing on the steps and looking down on a uh, human who I would suspect is uh, uh, Governor Brecht. Mm. Uh, that would be my favorite of the bunch. And like I said, they they vary as far as the uh, what they're showing, but as far as quality, they're all they all look to be painted and they all look pretty good. Uh, the ongoing story is written by Ty Templeton and Joe O'Brien, and the interior art is by Salgood. Salgood Sam, Sam mm -hmm. uh, coloring by Bernie Merolt. Uh, Art Lion is a color wrist on another one. Okay. Like, because I'm currently looking at issue five, and he's the colorist there. And what we're going to do is issue five provided us with 
synopsises, synopsis of the uh, first four issues. So we're going to kind of read those out. Uh, would you like to start with number one or would you like me to? No, I'll take it. Okay. Since uh, I'll, we're kind of doing the goofy gopher thing again from the, the other night. Chipmunks, not the goofy gophers. I thought they were gophers, the goofy gophers. They're no, not chipmunks. No, I'm chipmunks. telling you this. Chip and Dale kind of thing. Yeah, but they weren't Chip and Dale. They were gophers. No, no, no. After you. No, no. I insist. I could have sworn they were they were chipmunks. Are we going to have to do a quick Google search? No, we're not. We're going to just you. Okay, all eating. right. That'll that'll be the that that'll be a, a call to the listeners. Were they gophers or were they chipmunks? And if you don't know what we're talking about, then it doesn't matter. I am a fan of the Go Go Gophers. The Go Go Go. Oh yes, the Go Go Gophers, the goofiest gophers in town. The uh, Go Go Gophers were were two Indians. Oh, that's right. And the, there was the one who spoke, and then the other one who spoke in gibberish. And uh, something would happen. It was, you know, it was during the uh, Civil War, and the one, you know, something would happen, and they'd have a situation, and the one who spoke would say, "You got them plan," and the other one would go. And then afterwards, like the one who could speak would start like chuckling to himself and he'd say, whoopie doopie, we have them fun. <laughs> and then That's not stereotypical at all. No, no, it wasn't at all. <laughs> and then they'd put the plan into effect and basically make the cavalry soldiers look ridiculous. Gotcha. And having filled our tangent quotient for the moment, why don't you read the uh, synopsis for episode one? All right. If you missed issue one, here's what you need to know. We meet Chris Leung, I guess. Lee, L, Lee, L-E-U-N-G, Leung. You know, it's amazing how when you read something in your head, you don't really bother to sound it out. You just kind of, okay, that's what that's that word. I recognize it. I'll recognize it again, and I don't really need to say it out loud. But anyway, we meet Chris Leung, a, a pirate internet broadcaster, and we watch as his family is killed before his eyes. They are the first humans to die on the night of the fires, the night the apes revolted against their human masters. We also meet Caesar, the talking chimpanzee, leader of the ape revolution, and creator of the first law, ape shall not kill ape. Conceived in the future and born in the past, today he leads the apes in a war against the human army. But that army never comes. We meet Malcolm McDonald. Well, my dog is barking. Former aide Governor Breck of California. McDonald saved Caesar's life when the governor had eaten earlier ordered the apes extinction now he may be caesar's only human friend in san diego we meet president trundy which i guess that's another play on natalie trundy remember she was in the other movies she was in four of the five uh yep original series professor we meet president trundy the leader of the He got elected on the platform of simian hatred and bigotry, and that's not gone well ever since. We meet Nora Rhodes, Secretary of Media Information for the Trundy administration. It's been her job to keep Trundy's mistakes from the public. Caesar's uprising has made her job a lot tougher. Just when her fiancé, Dr. Bryce Evans, seems to be walking away from their engagement. To make matter... Wow, that paragraph. <laughs> to make matters worse, Bryce is trapped inside the city with Caesar's revolutionary army. And at last, we meet Aldo, the first gorilla in history to speak aloud. 
as a victim as a victim of cruel mind control experiments designed to train gorillas to be fighter pilots. Yeah, that's not going to backfire, is it? He learns to say the word no and learns to beat a few Air Force corpsmen into a pulp. We got all that into one issue. Wow. Now I'll bet you're sorry you missed it. On to issue two. If you missed issue two, here's what you need to know. We watch as Caesar's revolution spreads like a virus across America, as enslaved apes in town after town rise up and attack their human owners. First in small numbers around California, now in Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and Mexico. This virus-like pattern is noticed by Dr. Reich, a wheelchair-bound chaos physicist. Perhaps to be portrayed by Jeff Goldblum. Jeff, I was just going to say that. Arr, arr, arr. Chaos Terry. Uh, who could have predicted Paul would stop reading the, the, uh, the synopsis right then? <laughs> and he tries to get the president's attention with his theories about Caesar and the ape revolution. He suggests that steps be taken early before the virus spreads around the world and humankind is lost. We see an ape riot in Los Angeles, and Chris Leung witnesses a police officer intentionally shoot a group of humans simply because they were standing near some apes. I thought that's just because they were snoring too loud. Oh, wait, that was John <laughs> Wesley Harden. <laughs> After smashing the cop with a rock, I dropped a rock on him. Chris decides to get a digital camera and film the riots, determined to get the truth out to the rest of America, where there has been a presidentially mandated news blackout. Much like the America we live in today. Yeah, really. Sorry. (laughs) We find Dr. Bryce Evans, Nora Rhodes' fiancé, her fiancé, inside San Diego. We watch him shoot a chimpanzee with a tranquilizer dart and drag him off somewhere, perhaps for nefarious reasons. We cringe as Caesar decides to torture the governor of California to get information out of him about the code word church door, a word Caesar overheard spoken in front of him in the governor's office back when he was Breck's slave. Caesar becomes convinced that it's the secret word that keeps the president's army away from San Diego. We follow Nora Rhodes as she flies to Washington, from Washington to Oakland in the hopes that she can get a meeting with Caesar and possibly control the situation before the riot spread to every city in North America. More than anything, she wants to see if she can find Dr. Evans and see if he's still alive. But a plane is shot down, astonishingly enough, by Aldo and his flying gorilla jet pilots. Okay, one thing, though. Do you know where... uh, I spent some time in San Diego when I was in the Navy. Do you know how far Oakland is from San Diego? Uh, On the map, it's like a couple inches. Yeah, well, in California distance, that's a couple hours, as in, uh, I believe it took us almost eight hours to drive to, because I drove up to San Francisco to, actually to Carmel, and I think it took me eight hours from San Diego, and uh, San Francisco and Oakland is above Carmel, so I don't know what the hell she's driving, flying all the way up there for, but anyway, I don't know. So, I guess now that I've shrunk the page too big, too small, ah, if you missed issue three, Here's what you need to know. And this has a lovely, I don't know, uh, we did talk briefly about the covers before this, uh, but this is the one I was talking about with the, um, you've got, it's a view in the sky with the clouds, and there's three fighter jets coming down at like a uh, 45 degree angle, angled downward. And then you're, that's in the, that's in the background. And in the foreground, you have General Aldo flying in 
the cockpit of one of the planes and he's got like this weird looking skull cap on with electrodes coming out and he's got his hands behind the controls and he's taking aim. I just thought that, that he was Jewish. Oi. I thought that's why he had the skull cap. Is this banana kosher? <laughs> if you missed issue three, here's what you need to know. Breck has talked. He cracked like a peanut. Superman Caesar- would have cracked Charlie. <laughs> you get that reference? Yeah, we talked about that okay. on another show. Yeah. <laughs> and Caesar knows what church door is. All Caesar needs to know now is where to find it. Dr. Evans has created a nerve gas that is so genetically targeted, targeted that it can kill apes and monkeys while leaving human beings healthy and alive. All he needs to do now is to get this information out of San Diego and into the hands of the human government. Chris Young and Nora Roberts Rhodes, excuse me, have both made their way into San Diego, where Chris is invited by Caesar to film the trial of Governor Breck and show it to the world. All Chris needs to do now is stop the government scramblers from canceling his webcast before Caesar renders judgment. President, not professor, like I said earlier, Trundy has watched the revolution spread across his country and he's been helpless to stop it. No matter what measures are taken, apes are throwing off their clothes oof, and taking to the streets in Chicago, Boston, Miami, Paris, Beijing, and all over the world. Everybody all talk about pop music. <laughs> <sighs> all Trunny wants now is to, t- is to take the violent images off the TV and keep the public quiet. Again, much like... Never mind. It may not be the it may not be the right strategy. A group of government agents led by a man named Verna Kulp has infiltrated Ape Control San Diego in an attempt to rescue their governor. Hogan <laughs> What is this ape doing here? <laughs> Clink, you idiot! <laughs> I know nothing. They interrupt Chris's webcast of the trial. <laughs> you see Aldo as Schultz. <laughs> no, Aldo would be General Bur- Burkhalter. No, who would be Schultz then? Schultz. Who would be Schultz? Uh... Caesar could be Hogan. Caesar! Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Breck, Breck would be Clink, right? Yes. I think and, so. And, uh,. Well, Cope, uh, Cope could be Clink. Cope, Cope could be Clink. With oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. McDonald could be Kinch because, well, he's the only black guy. And he was the only black guy on Hogan's Heroes. Is this, is this a tangent? I think we've fallen into a tangent. Right. They interrupt Chris's webcast with a tangent of the trial and shoot Caesar through the shoulder while doing it. All Clink wants now is for Hogan to sit there and take another bullet Ending the show forever. Ending everyone's troubles. Okay. If you missed issue four, here's what you need to know. With hundreds of apes leaping to Caesar's defense, Culp is unable to get off that second shot, and Caesar's life is saved. The leader of the apes is still badly wounded, though. Culp and his group retreat into the church door bunker with the recently rescued Governor Breck. The facility is impregnable, and, for the moment, Caesar is unable to get past the door. Once inside, we get a good look at Project Church Door, which turns out to be the Alpha Omega Bomb, the device fated to destroy the world 2,000 years from now. Glory be the bomb. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, the Chinese government drops atomic bombs on Beijing, deciding it's better to cut away their urban centers rather than lose their country to the ape population in their midst. You dropped the bomb on me, Beijing. You dropped the bomb on me. Nora and Bryce find each other in the ruins of San Diego. It's not a friendly meeting, and there's little chance for the doctor to tell her about his nerve agent. In Washington, D.C., Aldo's air gorillas begin their assault on the city. <laughs> I see them as like a train flying act. Aldo and the air gorillas, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, and they begin their assault on the city and inflict surprising damage. Through the American Air, F- though the American Air Force defends against the guerrilla pilots, the Washington, the, the Washington, the White House is evacuated, and in the ensuing fog of war, occupied by ape soldiers, we finish the issue watching Aldo light one of the president's cigars, his hairy feet up on the desk in Trundy's Oval Office, <laughs> and that brings us to issue five. And neither of us actually prepared a synopsis for issue five. But in brief. Yeah, basically, uh, Breck has gotten into the bunker and we see the Alpha Omega bomb, which actually there's like a, this this picture of it. It's uh, what you're going to see later in Beneath the Planet of the Apes is only the top portion of the missile. It's like the booster section is all gone, which I think uh, that that explains that later in this because I think in issue six, we'll see why what happens. Why what happens? We'll see what happens. Anyway, Caesar's trying to get in. Um, Yeah, basically, Breck basically gives him an ultimatum. Uh, Either he withdraw his... Yeah, back resistance, off or drop the bomb. Or he's going to drop the bomb and kill everyone. Yeah. And that's, that's Caesar responds to that by uh, inciting his troops to war, saying they're not going to give in. And that would yeah. be the end of issue five. In issue six, the final issue. Which... Well, just one more thing, though. When they get to Fort Liberty, New York, you can see that the Statue of Liberty has been destroyed. Yes, which, uh, which is uh, kind of the end of the first uh, movie. Yeah, because they get there, um, and that's when the president gets into the bunker there, and that um, he finally gets uh, the message from Nora Nora Rhodes uh, about the that uh, Breck does have the bomb, and that the only that the immediate thermonuclear strike uh, needs to be done on the city of San Diego before Breck can unleash the bomb. He is the bomb. Word. <laughs> So in issue number six, uh, we pick up where we left off, and ultimately there's a confrontation. What I like one part is there's a confrontation between Aldo and McDonald, where basically Aldo's already letting it be known, you know, he's not going to listen to any any garbage at all. Any from, human. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and the uh, in flies General Aldo. Pretty much the war escalates, uh, the bomb is dropped, and that's what creates the uh, the wasteland that we see in Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. And, and the, is- the issue ends, or the story ends, with Lisa f- being able to speak and telling Caesar it's alright and everything is going to be alright. And then as, he- as they're walking off, there's a human sitting and 
I don't know if he's reading or writing a journal. Oh, that looks that looks like Chris Leone. I, I believe. And the story is dedicated to Rod Serling and Paul Dane, the masterminds behind the five-issue original series. Now, each of these books has a backup story that we're going to touch on, but first, I guess we should discuss this one, or should we wait, talk about the backups until Scott gets on? Oh, well, we could, I just wanted to say one more thing. Uh, at, at the end, when um, Lisa, um, when she says, Caesar, it's it's all right, Caesar, that was what he had said in the first issue he had asked her you know he said he hoped for the day when she would you know he had doubts about what he was doing and he hoped for the day would come that she would be able to tell him that what he's doing is right and that's why she says you know Caesar it's all right Caesar everything is going to be all right so it's you know a touching little little uh vignette there Get you right there. Yeah, it's 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 heart wrenching. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. What I mean, what do you think of the series overall? I when I f- saw the first issue, I was kind of like, oh man, what is uh, what does Scott get me into this? <laughs> because and, th- and then he bails on us. Well, <laughs> well, because the first like the art on the first like the first cover. Um, Shows a big gorilla with his foot on a soldier with a UN flag burning in his hand um, with Humvees trashed in the background, gorillas all over. And it just it just looked it looked kind of hokey, I guess, if hokey's a word. And but then as I got into it and it went into the history uh, and got, you know, got you back up to speed um, and then really expanded on the world of. of uh, conquest, you know, of, of of that world, and then what happened. You know, I it grew on me, and mm-hmm. it got a little more interesting. Yeah, I thought it was a good read overall. I mean, I have some points on it, but uh, overall, I thought it was an interesting read. I thought it was good. I thought it was a nice bridge between the uh, two series, or the two movies, rather. Now, maybe you can fill in. I've got a gap in my memory here. Now, in Escape of the Planet of the Apes, it was Dr. Heislin, right? Otto, Otto Haslein. Haslein. Was he killed at the end of that? Yes. Caesar shot. Okay. That's right. That's right. On the Not boat. Caesar, okay. excuse me. Cornelius. Yeah. Okay. Because the one doctor in here, Dr. Reich, yeah. No. Who's, who's, a, who's a combination of Dr. Haslein and uh, Stephen Hawking. Actually, you know, I really want to say they were doing a play on Dr. Strangelove too because oh maybe because if you look in the first issue like on the 10th page um, one of where he's got the monkey on his shoulder I'm telling you he looks like Peter Sellers to me right there so yeah, I thought they I were doing that. and plus plus he had this cool wheelchair that was kind of like a Segway and it would ride up on its back two wheels to make him the same height as the people that he was talking to. So that was a nice little touch, I think, you know, so that people wouldn't be able to look down on him, that he was on an equal height with them. Plus oh, he can he... speak aloud. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and then he's got, what is he? He's got like a backpack on that thing. He's all wired into it. He's got oxygen tanks. And then he has a pet monkey, like a little spider monkey on his shoulder. 
Well, I guess, I mean, at that time, I remember, what the heck was the movie? Monkey Shines? Monkey Shines. Like, that was what they were using either, was it the spider monkeys or rhesus monkeys that they were using to help crippled people with, you know, their yeah. everyday uh, needs? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it was it was those small monkeys. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, the breed is. I remember that movie. I don't I don't mm -hmm. know. You know. Oh yeah, and the monkey that, that may be widespread now, for all I know. But I I just remember that movie, and it was around the time of this book, I would think. And then in the first book, um, page sixteen, where they take Aldo into the group of gorillas that's being experimented on, but they look pretty much like um, uh, they went to Tahiti. Like in Marvel, Agents of Shield, mm -hmm. <laughs> because they've got these tendrils in their brains, and it looks like they're being rewired by uh, Doctor Strange. Yes, yeah, it does look. He does look kind of like Doctor Strange. What do you think of the art overall on this thing? Um, I, I, in sometimes it looked kind of uh, reminded me more of like a like heavy metal. Okay, that's that's an interesting thought. Uh, what what I uh, came up with was it looked to me almost like National Lampoon, or uh, when they had the like cartoons that would be like in something like Playboy. Yeah, yeah, I like can that, see that, that too. style of artwork. Except the one area where I really do like the artwork is on a lot of the ape face close-ups. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those are really good. Now, there's a lot of other, in each of these, there's a lot of other filler. Uh, usually, at the beginning of each issue, you get, like, a timeline, or you get Caesar's Diary. Yeah, in the back, you get Caesar's Diary, um, which is, you know, his own thoughts and, and, and about it. I mean, for a good couple pages, and it even has drawings, like, his crude drawings on there as well. Yeah, overall, I thought the Caesar's uh, Caesar's journal. I said diary. I thought the journal sequences were a little, you know, they weren't quite worth the effort it take, took to read them. Mm. Well, they had to fill something up with the book, I guess. Yeah, and like I said, each one had a backup story that we'll get to shortly. Yeah does uh, does the does the story in the first one ever play out, or was it just uh, because it's basically a story of President Trundy? running on a platform like it said we said before to uh, suppress simian rights well let's why don't we stick with the the main story now we'll, we'll talk about oh, okay. each of those individually okay when, when we're done with the you know kind of critiquing the main story uh, the aspect of the main story that I didn't really care for uh, although I think it was necessary I think they felt a need to explain one aspect of it that I do understand the problem, uh, as, as even in the movies, like when you get from Conquest of the Planet of the Apes to Battle for the Planet of the Apes, the intelligence of the apes, the knowledge of the apes has just leaped so exponentially that it just doesn't seem to make sense as far as evolution would go, that they would, well, you know, that they would advance that quickly. Well, and they you try can to, see... I'm sorry, go ahead, Bill. Well, you could see why the gorillas would, because they were being at, at least the group that was being experimented on. Mm -hmm. Why they're like why? But but yeah. Uh, well, that's a fair explanation for it. But they seem to create this almost mutant uh, ability from Caesar that he's basically almost causing this to happen. Right. They make it like I don't know if the, I don't want to say mysticism, but more like uh, what the whole thing about an emperor moth, like like he's giving off some type of psychic waves yeah, that's that he, causing these things to happen simultaneously all over the world. 
and in the United States that that it's his it's you know like he's radiating some type of mental power. I mean that's that's kind of what I got out of it. Yes. Yeah. And and I don't really I don't really like that. I'm not you know I, yeah. I I'm not saying that they didn't need to explain that aspect or come up with some reason to explain it, but I would have rather that they just said you know they, that they had been working genetically or experimentally with drugs or something on the apes that were being used as servants to try and make them more intelligent so that they could be of better service to them and that it backfired on them because as they got more intelligent they developed more free will. Yeah, like that, like something was going on with ape control that it was something they were using to make them docile or something actually made them more intelligent. Yeah, if might you have been gave a better. Some, or, or even like they kind of did in in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, where there was the experimental mm. drug that they used, and and it did it. Like an explanation like that works for me. Uh, the psychic emanations of Caesar, because he is a creature born out of time, you know that his parents are from the future and he was born in the past. Uh, that that's just a little too out there for me. Mm. But but the story doesn't really focus on that all that much. It hits on it and it just kind of keeps moving on. So it, it didn't kill the story for me, but it it did. I don't know. It just didn't sit totally right. Do you think there's a, a big change? See, I see a big change in the art when you, we get to issue three. Um, it looks cleaner. It looks more, l- less heavy metal. National Lampoon. You see what I'm what yeah, I'm t- talking I about? Yeah, I see exactly what you're talking about. It does look a little cleaner. It looks a little bit more mainstream, and I like it better. Yeah, yeah. From here out, it does get better. Except for I think six drops back off a little bit. But I, I mean, but three is uh, three is one of the best, the best looking ones. Yeah, if, if if this book was put together in a trade, or if people could find this like in the fifty cent bins, I would definitely recommend it. Well, this this series rather. Mm-hmm. I, oh, one thing, uh, Doctor Reich, 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 bleh. Nora's the, uh, fiance. No, 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 no. The guy with the wheelchair with the monkey. Oh yeah, okay. He, uh, I think we forgot to mention, he actually shoots himself. The monkey like pulls a. Gone out of his coat and hands it to them. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> because uh, they all turn to Reich and go, "Well, well, what do we do? What, what you know? What am I to do?" And um, the monkey is handing him the pistol, and he says, "I wonder, Mister President, if you happen to own a fiddle, which would be, you know, Nero played the fiddle while Rome burned, is what he's uh, referring to." Which I, I thought actually, was a pretty good line. Yeah, and then you go like two or three pages later, and. Uh, um, like at the bottom of one one of the pages, uh, there's not really a silhouette, but not really fully detailed. But you can see Reich says "Hail Caesar" and he blows his brains out. And uh, that's the end of Doctor Reich, Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> but, uh, the the other thing that I thought took me out of the story just a little bit is in the writing. I thought. Uh, I don't know whether it's uh, O'Brien or Templeton. I think I think they said Templeton did the actual dialogue, but I'm not sure. Uh, it seemed like he went made too much of a conscious effort to have them use the cliche lines from the movies, you know, lousy human bastards and get your stinking paws yeah. off me and it's a madhouse and yeah, because uh, when I saw that stuff, it it it, it you know it was kind of I don't want to say it pulled me out of it. 
out of what I was reading, but it was like it was almost like a slap in the face. Like, oh, oh, okay, all right. Well, I see what they're doing. Yeah, all right. We gotta throw that in there. I get it. And then at, at, at other times we were getting flashbacks to well, I guess it would be a flash ahead uh, to once we find out what Church Door is, we're getting flash aheads to the bomb and uh, Taylor and uh, Doctor Zayas as uh, Taylor blows it up. In the beginning of I issue five, we have the flash aheads before it's uh, you know when when you find out what the bomb is like. It's kind of a reminder to everybody. Which, actually, it should tell you that the bomb isn't going to blow up because the bomb is here, is in the future. So Yeah, they do blow up bombs, but not the but bomb. But not the bomb, because the bomb gets uh, knocked off its perch, and that's how the top half gets separated from, from the bottom. But they do nuke. Um, okay, that's, that's what I wanted to talk about. All right. This, I think, is a major plot hole in this book. And I'm glad I had forgotten about this. I forgot to write this note down. Okay, think about it. They're in San Diego. The bomb's in San Diego. Taylor in... Taylor. Taylor. Finds the Statue of Liberty. And then he then goes off into the Forbidden... You know, at, at the beginning of Beneath the Planet of the Apes, you know, he sees mm -hmm. there's a Statue of Liberty... Then he goes in the, into the Forbidden Zone, disappears into the little split screen. <laughs> and, you know, so the the Wasteland, the Forbidden Zone, is supposed to be San Diego, right? That's where the bomb is. Well, what, how, what, what did the Statue of Liberty float all the way around, go through the Panama Canal, and come up on the West Coast? Tectonic plates. Tectonic, oh, okay, so that's where we're going to go. Wormholes, <laughs> man, wormholes. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think they think compress the United States to a uh, yeah what did it, just, did, did it fold in on itself I, I mean I mean or he traveled three thirty five hundred miles <laughs> and then Nova went all the way back to meet Brent exactly so yeah that's kind of a little hole in the story that doesn't quite jive that you know because this this you know this bomb would be in the forbidden zone with the mutants and that the Statue of Liberty's on the beach, I guess, un unless it just floated around for 3,000 years and, like you said, tectonic plates. I'm going with that. That's that's my story. I'm sticking with it. I'm not I'm not giving you no, uh, a no prize for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you notice in issue five, I had to do a double take because in one of the news broadcasts, they have an orangutan giving the news broadcast and he's saying everything is under control I'm trying to remember that that's on page 14 oh yes 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 and I was like because I I read by it then I stopped wait a minute what <laughs> that looks like Dr. Zayas he's on TV so yeah I mean it's it's an it interesting story i mean it kind of fills in some gaps i mean it does have that kind of big weirdness at the end that doesn't quite jive um but yeah you're right some of the close-up shots of apes are are really pretty cool looking yeah but then but then other times it's just you know like the first three issues are are not as good as as the last three art wise i would agree with that definitely 
And I th- do you think? All right, I know some of the complaint like that Scott has with the Conquest movie is that Breck is like a, over the the actor was not quite you know just a major scenery chewer, but not in a good way. Do you think in this story he's given a little redemption and some of his menace comes out a little better? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, you, you, it it depends on how you would picture him acting it. Um, I think he is still could be you know if you had to put that same actor in that he played in the same over the top kind of way. Oh, I but even the way I guess the way he's he, he's drawn he doesn't be, because the actor was very eyes wide he was just it's it seemed like volume and was his you know so what you're saying is the cartoon is a better actor than the person <laughs> yeah yes that's that's kind of the way i felt about it that the card yes the cartoon was a better actor than the actor and i'm sorry if i have i can't remember the actor's name i'm sorry if i've offended any of his fans or him not that he listens <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure he's a he's an avid listener and now he's not giving us that five-star review we wanted and i what the other thing I wasn't quite sure is how exactly did the apes get into the bunker at the end? Just because they dropped bombs on it with the planes and then they were able to get into the bunker. I mean, it was supposedly like, I don't know, maybe they had bunker boss, bunker buster bombs. Yeah, I just kind of took it that we didn't see exactly how they got in, but that over time they were able to, you know, they weren't able to hold them off forever, kind of. Yeah. Another another point I had with it was uh, while I I think you could justify it from a story point of view, Caesar was not consistent with the movie version in that he was far more bloodthirsty in this than he was in the movies. He was almost he was almost schizophrenic at some points of this book. There was almost a little bit of a sadistic quality to him at points. Yeah, because at one moment, you know, he's he's he's. Uh... I mean, he's all sweet with Lisa and everything, and then he just snaps. And, I mean, you, like I said, you could justify it with his history. You know, his parents were killed, and, mm-hmm. you know, his, his people have been oppressed and all of that. But as portrayed in the movies, he always was looking, even though he was pushed to the violence in the fourth movie, he was looking for the nonviolent way out when possible. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, that's the way he was written in the movies. And this, you know, he he actually, especially with Governor Breck, he got, like I said, almost sadistic. Yeah. Oh, so I, I think he... it was a little inconsistent with the way his character has been portrayed. Otherwise. Yeah, we see the end of uh, McDonald. Yeah, yeah, well, that's McDonald, the which jives with assistant. Yeah, which jives with the movie because I guess his because uh, in the movie you guys did, you and Andy did. Um, I believe it's the same actor, but it's supposed to be McDonald's brother. No, different actor. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. But it's still he's still McDonald, and supposedly he's yeah, the brother. Yeah, his brother. Yeah. So you know they killed McDonald in this, and he had to go out and find a new McDonald. Old McDonald bought the farm. I can't feel my legs. <laughs> but a bang bang here, and a pow, pow pow there. Here a bang, there a pow. Everywhere a bang bang. <laughs> I guess, I guess we can go on to the uh, to the the shorts unless you have something. Um, I like how during. Did you notice that through most of the book, a lot of the backgrounds are red, like 
red is the overall theme, it, it, it seems. Well, it's like the, the world is like, on fire kind of thing. Yeah, like everything's washed out, like it's on fire. Um, and then after the bomb is dropped, it seems like everything gets dark and muted, like it would be, you know, because of uh, fallout, dust clouds. You know, everything is, is, is you know, got those muted grays and, and purples. And it, it just sets a more gloomier tone uh, for what's to come in uh, battle. And then, you know, like it'll slowly work its way out until we, you know, the earth will die again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I just thought it was a nice nice choice at the end how they changed the overall coloring of everything. Yeah, that, that is well done. I mean, so, I mean, we want to do a grade for the story. Yeah, yeah, we might as well, and we'll, we'll do the primary story, and then we'll hit on the individual backups, which we're going to do fairly briefly, Yeah, since, since there's six of them. Yeah, I mean, some were not really that great, but others I thought were pretty good. Uh, so, story-wise, uh, other than one or two little minor nitpicks, uh, I would give the story, I'd give it a B, B+. And the art... I'd give the second half on the art um, issue four, five, and six would be a B as well, but the first three I'd have to go with like a C. It just didn't. It just really wasn't. The book gets much better as you get into it. So if I, I average, I would agree sorry. with both. I would agree with you on both of those. You know, so like on 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 the whole, I'm going to give it an overall B. And I, I would say I would say the covers, I would give a B plus. So that yeah. to me, that's what what brings the you know that when you consider that it, it brings the whole thing up to a B. Yeah, it, it makes up for the only C plus on the first couple of issues. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, and like we said, each each of the six has an entry in Caesar's journal, and each one has a has a short backup story. I think they're usually about I don't know five or six pages. Uh, issue one has a, has a short backup called For Human Rights, which focuses on the presidential election of President Trundy. And it seems he's run on a platform consisting only of trying to crush any ape rights. The narrator of the story is at, an alley, as, is at a rally and planning to assassinate Trundy as he's running for president. But well, ironically, the attempt is pre- prevented by a security gorilla. But then Trundy... <laughs> Has the gorilla put down Shot. for attacking yeah. a human? Well, this guy was going to go so far that they were going to write into the Constitution that apes would not have rights. Yes, and which apparently is just, that was a very popular platform. I, which is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I know, but it's like wow. Ugh. But uh, but I, I liked the just kind of the Twilight Zone twist on it that he he had the ape put, ape who saved his life put down for attacking a human. Yeah, because, and, 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 he, and was he, never aware that that guy was planning to assassinate him. And they even found a gun on the ape, and they said, "Oh, well, wait a minute. There's a gun here. The guy had had a gun, and still the guy is so dense. Well, obviously he was he was carrying a gun, you know, in case he gets attacked by attacked by one of these dirty apes. Blah blah blah. Which was <laughs> just you you see the buffoon this guy is going to become when he becomes president and why he, some of the bad decisions that he's going to make. He's just a complete moron. Yeah. What and, you, uh, you know, I guess for each of these stories, we can give it a quick letter grade too. Um, did you think 
the second page of the of the for human rights story. I almost thought that in the one where he's holding the chain of the gorilla in his hands up, for a quick instance, it looks like John Wayne. Yeah, that shot does look like him, which as a fan of John Wayne, I really don't like that. But Well, okay, so I didn't, I mean, did you think that when you looked at it? I hadn't thought it until you just said it, but now that you say it, I'm looking at it, and yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, now he doesn't, kind of looks like that, maybe in the next, but not as much, but that one shot was just... You know, and the art in this story is is ah, very muddy. Yeah, and like going back to the same shot, the proportion of like the hand, the hand that's out with the chain, it, it just looks way too big. Yeah, he's got the gorilla. You know, head. but you could say, okay, well, he's holding his hand out. But if you look at the hands at the bottom of the of of the picture with the, the people that would be closer to you, their hands are smaller than his hand that's outstretched. It's just. Maybe it's just got a mutant hand. It's got yeah, maybe it's an ape hand, like you said. This this art almost had a Bill Sankevich wannabe look to it, kinda. A little bit. Maybe not quite as like crazy on the on the lines, but maybe not quite as talented. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess Attila? By Ty Tuplin. See, I'm not sure who did the actual art on this individual story. So, Attila the Hun. But the story itself, I thought was great. But the art, mm, not so much. You know, I thought it was a nice little short Twilight yeah, Zone. Yeah, I mean, it's only story. one, two, three. It's only a five-page story. Yeah, and uh, it almost like to me, it almost read like when you uh, when Marvel would have like the little horror short stories at the end of some books. Right, you know, kind of the you know trying to imitate the EC style, but I mean, obviously, this wasn't the horror story, but just kind of the ironic twist to it and all. Yeah, uh, like we did uh, when we did Giant Size Man thing. With, yes. Uh, uh, with, with, with Dave, with all those different stories in there, which we yeah. should do that again. We'll do the same issue again. <laughs> yeah, we already did it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Lost but, uh, the recording. I'm, I'm thinking I'll give, I'll give that story a C. Decent oh, you story. get the story to see? Hmm. Yeah. Decent story, entertaining, overall forgettable. I'll give it a C and I'll give the art a D. Yeah, that's I, fair. I, I'm just not fond of the art. Issue number two, we have a story about People News Monthly magazine and a feature article that's written about Caesar. There's a debate about whether or not they can bur- should bury the story or, tr- or print it. And ultimately, the printed uh, mock-up copy of it gets put into a safe, and it doesn't get... I don't believe it gets uh, actually issued to the public. It's it's a titanium steel four-inch thick safe. When not used to to chain King Kong, it's used in safes. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, then in an incredibly convenient moment, that safe is found in the future by Cornelius and Zira, who bring it to Dr. Zaius... And the story actually even has a picture of Cornelius and Zira on the cover. And Dr. Zayas basically convinces them that it's some sort of forgery. And yeah, and then he goes in and he actually reads the story about uh, about their future. Yes. And I thought of the issues, of the six issues, I thought this was the most forgettable of the stories. It almost looks like when he snatched the magazine away and he's he's pointing to it, he's yelling at them because they found like monkey porn. Yeah, 
And then he goes off and reads it, and his eyes are all wide. You know, ah, dirty old man, you found the monkey porn. Can't can't let the kids see it. <laughs> Art-wise, uh, I think this is the same artist as the main story, or it looks somewhat like the same artist of the main story, at least to me. But actually, no. I, oh, yeah, well, no, I guess not. I just checked. Uh, some of the faces look pretty good, but they're they're not. I mean, I, I guess you really don't have to have, I don't want to say photorealism, but none of them really look like, they could have been any ape, actually. Yeah, I thought this one was a step up from the issue one back up. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, definitely. I would say story-wise, it's still probably... Uh, a C to a C plus, but the art has come up to hmm, a C, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. All right, moving on to issue number three, uh, which focuses on Armando Circus and the circus. Oh, and we also oh. have the um, we have the urgent memorandum from Doctor Heislin of his. Uh, did did you read that whole? Like three, four, uh, three-page blurb about how he feels responsible. You know, it's uh, that it's that he created the paradox by in, by creating the drive, whatever, and, and you know, the Heisling curve with the ship going back, fold, space folding in on itself, blah 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 blah. Did you read any of that? I did. It's it's like his goodbye letter. You know, how he's going to set things right by killing. Uh, Zira and Cornelius. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It was a nice little thing to throw in there. I thought. So anyway, yeah. the The last uh, the story in in three is at the circus. Yes, and the circus gets a visitor from a representative from the SPCA, <laughs> who thinks that they have to be doing something unethical in order to get the animals in the circus to perform the spectacular stunts that they do and Armando kind of sweet talks the lady and makes plans to take the circus and flee the area Caesar explains to Armando that he dreams of the animals performing tricks and then the next day they do them and mm-hmm. he says and he, he has he some frightening dreams and he's afraid they're going to come true as well yeah because he's not sure if he's causing these things to happen by his dreams which would tie into that whole his mental Ape powers yeah, of which suggestion. Is, which is an aspect of the story that I didn't care for at all, really. And then this focuses even more on it. So I, I, I didn't like this story. And it was less the way the story was presented and more the concept of the story that that I didn't care for. But uh, because of that, I, I give it a fairly low grade because I just don't like the story. Uh, so I'm giving it a D. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I liked about the story was uh, supposedly that the uh, the mute guy was not really mute, or was actually Caesar affecting the mute guy to make him say something. Mm-hmm. You know that was about the only. Th- Again, a lot of these seem to have the little Twilight Zone twists. Now, the lady from the SPCA, her name's Paula Dean. Isn't that the same name as the lady that's the cook? Yeah, I think so, but I think this is probably before that. Uh, before yeah, this is before that. Yeah, I was kind of like, what? Paula Dean? 
So I don't really like the art here either. I, I I don't know. It's just maybe it's just me. And yet this is a little bit more traditional comic book art, but well, that's true. Yeah. Somehow it does doesn't really look quite right. Yeah, the figures. I don't like the way like Armando is not portrayed consistently. I would have, you know, I guess they probably didn't have the rights to make him look like Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they did make him look the well. Maybe they did make him look the same, but maybe it's because he didn't look like Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, I would have preferred that he looked like Khan <laughs> with the open chest. <laughs> yeah, but again, this this was the the one before. This was the most forgettable. This was the most uh, disliked by me. Mm. of the bunch so we move on to issue number four and the story is paternal instinct and it introduces a woman cop who uh, has an inner monologue where she tells us that she's trying to live up to the memory of her father who apparently was a big shot astronaut who was lost in space so I'm thinking perhaps she's supposed to be the daughter or illegitimate daughter of Taylor yeah because her name tag says Taylor oh it does I didn't even see that Oh, yeah. Sorry. It's on page I, I, 23. I didn't actually even see the name tag. I just kind of thought I was being uh, smart reading into it. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Show. I read this so... Don't feel bad. I read this so fast. I didn't even... I missed a shot about her old man being a big shot astronaut. Okay. So we're both... Uh, so we're both... Between, what, between the two of us, we've read the story. <laughs> yeah, because I read the first couple and I just kind of skimmed it. And then yeah. I went back further and then I saw, you know... And I totally missed that. Uh, said her dad was an ad, was a big shot astronaut. But uh, she she never met him or never knew him. But she knows her him through her mom through her mom who told her that her dad was a magnificent bastard. Yeah. <laughs> and then her name's Tammy, so she's Tammy Taylor, really. <laughs> so uh, she comes upon uh, a mob that's attacking some apes, and they're. One of them has a cinder block, and it's ready to crush a, a baby chimp. And uh, she pulls out her gun to stop them. They declare her a uh, traitor to the human race. But she's knocked out from behind. When she wakes up, she sees that the baby was killed. And yeah. then she hears a yell, and the baby's mother took a human baby, I guess uh, in a grief-stricken thing that she was just trying to have a baby. Yeah. And she's out on the ledge of a uh, building with the baby, and uh, Officer Taylor goes up and basically talks her into handing over the baby by explaining to her how she didn't want things to happen. And remember, I tried to stop them. And then uh, once the ape hands her over the baby, she shoots the ape and kills it, which I don't really know why. Because she was a bastard, a real magnificent bastard. Yeah, but what? I don't know. To what That's... end? Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I, that was the same thing when I got to, to the end, you know. I guess, you know, <sighs> she felt it needed to be done. I don't know if she somehow saw it as a mercy killing. Why? What would it be a mercy killing? I mean, well, I mean, yeah, she's in pain, but what is she, maybe she thought she's going to run around and just kidnap babies. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't maybe, know either, but maybe the I found it very disturbing. Yeah, well, yes, it was disturbing, yeah. I mean, it was disturbing. Even the chimp death was disturbing. And it's, you know, you don't see it, but it's implied that that cinder block was dropped on the chimp baby. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, because it's laying down on, on the ground, uh, all kind of at, uh, you know, an odd angle with blood around its head. Yeah. This is the most disturbing of the stories. Mm-hmm. And I don't really... I don't really get, like, other than to try and have the irony of it being Taylor's daughter or something, I don't really get it. Not a, not a huge fan. I'm giving it a C-. minus. Although, and here was where they used a the catchphrase. When uh, she sees the ape up on the ledge, uh, she says, you know, same, same mother ape f- from before. Damn those redneck idiots. Damn them to hell. Hmm. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, well. Ty Templeton couldn't get away from the... Uh, the cliche. Yes. He was... You could say he was tied to them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, how are you, how are you rating this one? Um, the art is... Tells the story, but it doesn't impress me. Um... I'm going to give it a C for the art. The story, again, is... I don't know if maybe the d- disturbing factor... I'm actually going to move it up to like a C plus, B minus. Because it is a little disturbing. That kind of made me think a little bit. So I guess it would round out to... We'll just say C plus... Maybe just C. O- o- overall. I would have found the disturbing aspect of it a little bit more tolerable if I thought it had a, had a purpose... A point. Mm. Yeah. But I, I think it almost seemed like it was uh, it was disturbing for the sake of being disturbing. And that I don't go for that. So, okay. Okay. And uh, we go to issue number five. Ape shall not kill ape. Yes. And that's, uh, we join a lawgiver who's holding a class of apes and human children. And, uh, Sorry, I, just, I got disturbed there for a moment. I'll start that again. We join a law- lawgiver who's holding a class of apes and human children, and he's setting forth the philosophies of Caesar. They discuss Aldo and the gorillas and how they, they basically went into a self-exile. He teaches of equality and that humans are just another race of ape, which is an interesting theory. The class is interrupted by a lawgiver from the hill tribes who declares that humans are wild and not safe. And uh, he sets a wild human on the first lawgiver that we met as an example. And uh, basically that's a, a, a human who grew up in the wild and is just going to, you know, just attacks. So uh, it, it basically takes, he, he, I thought for a moment that he had killed the other lawgiver, but he didn't. Uh, but he basically uh, hum, humbled him or, uh, you know, quieted his ability to uh, stand up to this, Hill tribe lawgiver, who, uh, and then what he does is he has the humans removed from the class, mm-hmm. and, and doesn't allow them to have full clothing. Yeah, strip them uh, their clothing and throw them in the river. Yeah, <laughs> and and then he starts to declare. He says, "Ape shall not kill ape is is a good law, but it's not the ultimate law." Here, take your pens and write this down. And he starts to speak. Beware the beast man. So he's <laughs> basically, uh, he he starts. Dictating the sacred scrolls. Yeah. I liked this story. I thought this was a good one. But what it does is it set it set something that I never thought of, that there was not just one lawgiver. 
I was always under the impression that John Huston was the only lawgiver. Right, right. This is, kind of shows that, like, yeah, that he's the that there's a lawgiver for every village. Yeah. And so, yeah, and he kind of looks a, maybe a little bit like John Huston, maybe. Well, John Huston though was preaching a message of peace. Right. So I don't think he's supposed to be John Huston. No, not the, the John Huston lawgiver. In. Oh, you well, see yeah. the first one? The, yeah, yeah. The that first may one. be the John Huston lawgiver, yes. Maybe. Um, did you think this artist was... Again, this would be like the second time we've had this discussion on these ape books. Do you think he was trying to ape ha, 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 Jack Kirby with some of these? Like on page 21, with the ape that's in the tree, when... Uh, when they're talking about when Aldo, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it looks that, a, a little, little bit of uh, like when Kirby was doing two thousand and one. Y- yeah, in there, I I see it a little. Uh, I think the other one that you guys had pointed it out on was a little bit more. Oh, clear. Well, clear. Oh yes, yes. There's only certain ones, certain pictures in here that it looks like that. It, it that was just one, because that's where I'm kind of going. That the art is. While the art's good, it's not always doesn't seem to be consistent for me. I mean, of course, it's only five pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I mean, the art's okay. Yeah, the art's okay, but I thought the story overall was strong, so I'm giving this one a B. B overall. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll go with that. I'd agree. Okay, and let's wrap it up with issue number six. You want to take wrap that one? Up. Wrap it up. I'll take it. Wrap, wrap, wrap. wrap. Sorry. I'm just doing the fabulous Thunderbirds. And our last story is Catch a Falling Star. And in it, we see what I would imagine that the that they were going for was to go with a look of Planet of the Apes from the actual novel. And that you have a futuristic ape society where... Um, all, actually, the humans look... Do you think the humans kind of look like... Uh, I don't really... I don't know how I should say this. Sex slaves? Yeah, they, on the first... <laughs> the first story, it's, it's very dark, but yeah. Yeah, there's these humans that are like leaning on poles and they've got, you know, loincloths on, standing in the street, but they're just kind of leaning watching ape firefighters fight a fire. It's actually like looks like a city, and the only thing that's really weird is that you, you, you have a, a, a hooded... Um, ape figure carrying a briefcase that it turns out to be Dr. Zayas and he's come to meet uh, Dr. Milo in his hip bachelor pad uh, even with stereo TV uh, a nice little uh, you know dining room table and um, basically Dr. Zayas is telling him that Taylor's ship has arrived and he brings with him Doomsday and what played out at the beginning of the book with Caesar's diary Dr. Zayas now has, has in this in this briefcase and explains to Dr. Milo what his role is going to be in the coming future and um, you know he's like these are copies of the you know I'm trusted with the original copies of Caesar's journal which okay if these are thousands of years old why does he take them out of the plastic people <laughs> that stuff should have just dissolved in his hand so uh, he shows him to Milo, but um, Zaius is determined to stop the future. Um, and 
so he ends up actually killing Dr. Milo, you know, so that, um, you know, he's hoping that he's going to change this future. And as uh, Milo is dying, he holds up the scroll and says, my name doesn't appear in anywhere in these, only the name Zaius over and over. And it says, Some, somehow in the next few days, you will find a reason to pilot the ship yourself. And then it kind of blacks out. And then we're treated to, uh, we see Dr. Zaius is now un- in a lawn chair with a nice little uh, tiki umbrella over his head. And uh, Cornelius and Zira are saying, hey, you fell asleep. You must have been dreaming. And we can see that they're on an expedition and they're introducing their new engineer Milo to him. And uh, that uh, as they're sitting there, they see a falling star, which we're to, you know, believe that that's going to be uh, Taylor crashing. And we see Dr. Zayas has his eyes closed like he knows what's coming and he's dreading all of it. And uh, they say, someone make a wish. The end. Yeah, I guess that they're basically just saying it's a vicious cycle and there's no way of avoiding it. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's 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 a little bit heady. I, yeah, I think the art here. Now, I mean, you might you, you might want to fight me on this. But I think this story has the best art out of all of them. Of the backups. Of the backups, yes. Uh, I would tend to agree with you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, out of the backups, and in, and actually, in at least and better than the first three stories of uh, uh, the first three issues of the main story. Yeah, I would say equal to the other issues of the main story. Yeah, equal to the last three, yes. And then the story is kind of, yeah, it's very, uh, you know, it's a dream within the story. But it's, you know, uh, I like that it could be an alternate take on the Planet of the Apes novel. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's what they were going for. I think it's, it's, like I said, it's kind of heady. It's it's just that time travel time paradox kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's it makes you think I don't, I don't know I, I enjoyed it yep so I mean I'd say out of the six this is the best one I'm gonna give the art B plus and the uh, the story I'm also gonna give a B plus and that's exactly what I would do as well so we're in we're in agreement. I'm reading your mind. Ooh, you like Caesar with my ape powers. <laughs> I got mad ape skills. <laughs> oh wait, that's Tim Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's it for uh, that's it for Mister Comics. Uh, I guess, unfortunately, Scott's uh, business meeting ran long and he didn't get to join us. And I'm sorry to say that, but uh, what are you going to do? We got through Mr. the whole Comics, thing. we salute you. Yes. Join us next week as we conclude our Back to the Apes month, or Planet of the Apes month, with our look at the Boom Studios run on the uh, on the property. Boom shakalaka-laka, boom shakalaka-laka, boom shakalaka-laka, ooh! Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzocore of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 